The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, folks. So glad to have you with us. Hope that your holiday season is going great. We have a really, really deep and thought-provoking show for you today. Um, some of you may or may not be following the climate talks in Copenhagen, and we're hearing a lot about the importance of carbon reductions and all of these things, um, and those are important topics. But today we're going to delve into what may be the most important topic when it comes to the environmental challenges that the children of today will face in the 21st century, and that is population. Uh, just last week I spoke at a middle school, and I asked the kids, to, uh, to think about the world's natural resources as a pie. There's a finite amount of natural resources in the world. And I said, you know, right now our Earth's population is about 6 billion people. So imagine that pie of natural resources being sliced into 6 billion pieces. And so they thought about it and they envisioned that. And then I said, how old will you guys be in the year 2050? And they quickly did the math and they said, about 53 years old. And I said, when you're 53 years old, if the U.S. Census Bureau is correct, there will be over 9 billion people on the planet. Now, what happens if we take that same pie, that same amount of natural resources, and slice it by 9 billion people? What happens to everybody's slice? And one kid raised their hand, and he said, they all get smaller. And I said, that's exactly right. And even at the middle school level, they can understand the, the... correlation between the amount of people on the planet and the amount of resources per person that we can supply to those folks. Well, today we're going to be talking to the author of a very um, thorough and candid look at the population situation. Her name is Lori Mazur, and I'm so glad to have her on. She's the author of a book called A Pivotal Moment. Lori, thank you so much for joining us on Go Green Radio today. Hi, Jill. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Well, it's a pleasure. Now, let's start with the title of your book. Why did you call it A Pivotal Moment? Well, I think it's increasingly clear that this is a pivotal moment uh, for the global environment. I think many people realize that as, as world leaders are assembling in Copenhagen for what some say could be our last chance to avert disastrous climate change. But I do think it's less well known that we're also at a pivotal moment for world population. Um, Right now, uh, we're at 6.8 billion. uh, And the largest generation of young people in human history is coming of age. Um, Nearly half the world's population, about 3 billion people, are under the age of 25. 
And the choices that those young people make about childbearing, and importantly, the choices that are available to them, will determine whether world population grows to anywhere between 8 billion and even 11 billion by the middle of the century. Wow. That's just an unbelievable statistic. And it is kind of um, unbelievable that that isn't talked about in a more mainstream fashion. I mean, I would wager to say a lot of people haven't even considered that very important fact. Now, talk to us, you know, I, in my intro, talked in in very uh, elementary terms about the connection between climate change and other environmental problems and population, but could you go into a bit more detail about that connection? Well, sure, and I, I really appreciate the pie analogy, which I think in many ways is a good one. Um, and certainly the pie is going to be sliced a bit thinner in the future, but I think it's also important to remember that um, we have some really different sized pieces of pie <laughs> right now. Yes, that's um, fact. Which is why the relationship between population and the environment is so complicated, um, because different people have very different levels of impact. Um, you know, we in the U.S. consume more resources and produce more waste per capita than anybody in the world. Um, just consider, for example, uh, the average citizen of Tanzania produces about a tenth of a ton of carbon dioxide per year. Uh, guess how long it takes the average American to produce the same amount? Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not even sure. Well, um, it's shocking but true that it takes us about 28 hours. Uh, by oh by my 4 a.m. On, on January 2nd, most of us have produced the same amount of carbon dioxide that the average Tanzanian produces in a year. So, oh, you know, my we, stars. We do, <laughs> yeah, we have very different levels of impact. Um, but at the same time, everybody on the planet has some impact, and most environmentalists agree that uh, stabilizing world population at 8 billion rather than 11 billion would make all of the environmental challenges before us, including climate change, much easier to solve. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. I mean, uh, I think it's one of those factoids that's so intuitive that anyone can understand that. I mean, I, I can say for certain that the middle school students I spoke to last week could understand that fact. I, I think it's something that we need to talk about more. Now, one of the things that's so difficult about broaching this topic is that human reproduction is so personal, um, and so it can be very sticky when we start to talk about this subject. Does your book advocate what we have heard about in other countries before, and that's population control? Absolutely not. Um, and this is, I think, the great news in the book. Uh, you, you don't need to control anybody to slow population growth. Um, you know, over the last 50 years, we've, we've learned a lot about how to slow population growth and also how not to. Um, we've learned that the best way is to make sure that all people have access, have the means and the power to make their own decisions about whether to bring a child into the world. Um, and that means universal access to family planning and reproductive health care, 
Uh, it means educating girls and empowering women so that they have real choices in life. And it means promoting sustainable and equitable development. So, you know, in other words, all the things we need to do to slow population growth are, are things we actually should be doing anyway. Right. I mean, it almost, it almost makes it a human rights issue rather than a government control issue. Um, and and that's, that is good news. I mean, that, that it isn't a matter of mandating behavior, but rather opening up as many choices as we can and opportunities as we can. Absolutely. And, in fact, uh, the, the right to choose the, the number and timing of one's children is, in fact, a, an internationally recognized human right. One of the things that I think some people are, are a bit sensitive to is that in some developing countries, families want large families, and, and that could be for cultural or religious reasons. Are we imposing Western values on other, on other cultures and other countries by pro- promoting family planning and, and these types of choices? I mean, I think we're all sort of sensitive to exporting our value system that may or may not go over well in other countries. Do you feel like that this whole issue of family planning and population policy is maybe imposing Western values on other countries? That is, it, it's such a good question, and um, I know that that's really a, a sticking point for a lot of people. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. In, in every country, in every culture, women are having more children than they say they want. Um, around the world, there are more than 200 million women who are sexually active and don't want to get pregnant. They either want to postpone or prevent getting pregnant again, but lack access to family planning services. And uh, some 20 million of those unintended pregnancies end in abortion, which is often unsafe and actually kills about 74,000 women every year. So women are already trying to control their fertility, and they need safer means to do so. Uh, mm-hmm. and ensuring access to family planning and reproductive health would actually reduce maternal deaths by about three-quarters uh, and reduce newborn deaths by half, uh, and unsafe abortions would drop by about 73%. So uh, this isn't really about changing people's minds and asking them to have mm-hmm. fewer children. It's about mm-hmm. getting people the services that they need and want. You know, it's about making sure that people... Can, can make real choices about whether to bring a child into the world. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's hard to argue with that. I mean, that seems so basic, you know, really, really basic. Now, speaking of abortions, President Obama uh, made a decision soon after taking office to restore U.S. funding for the United States or the United Nations uh, Population Fund. And that was kind of controversial for a lot of American taxpayers that really don't support funding abortion procedures, whether it's here or abroad. But your book discusses some legislation that passed several decades ago that actually prohibits U.S. funding for overseas abortions but allows the U.S. to help fund family planning programs. In the couple minutes that we have before commercial break, could you give our listeners a little bit of background on that legislation so they can fully understand President Obama's decision? Yeah, great. This is this is something there's also a lot of misunderstanding about. Um, now, for, for nearly 40 years, uh, there's been a U.S. law in the books, the, the Helms Amendment, which prohibits the use of 
foreign aid funds, U.S. foreign aid funds, to provide abortion services. Uh, there's also a similar law that prohibits the use of taxpayer money for abortions in the U.S. Um, but in 1984, uh, the Reagan administration took the prohibition a little further uh, and decided that and denied U.S. funding to any group that provides abortion counseling or services or lobbies for legalizing abortion, even with its own money. Uh, and this became known to uh, as the global gag rule. Uh, and also during the Reagan administration, the U.S. withdrew funding from the United Nations Population Fund, which provides family planning and reproductive health services, but not abortion around the world. Um, and both of these policies were in effect uh, during the Reagan administration and both Bush administrations, and they were rescinded by Clinton, and now they've been rescinded by Obama. Um, but, you know, it's interesting, the net effect of the gag rule and of defunding the United Nations Population Fund was, was really to deny U.S. money to organizations like the International Planned Parenthood Federation that provide family planning services. Um, so, ironically, this has probably led to far more abortions, you know, and it's also set back efforts to ensure universal access to family planning and to stabilize population growth. Well, and I want to touch on that a little bit more after we come back from this commercial break because that is such an important uh, piece to understand. So, folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with more Go Green Radio in just a few moments after this commercial break. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Now, Mrs. Johnson, before we close on your mortgage loan, I want to make sure you remember Mike. Hi. You can trust me. I'm African-American, just like you. So here's the low monthly payments and interest rates we promised, and here's where they triple. The rest of this stuff is just here to make sure that we get your house when you can't pay us back. What a lovely house. Predatory lenders are never this easy to spot. Call us at 866-222-FAIR and protect yourself with the facts. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Fair Housing Alliance and the Ad Council. Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST. 
4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, folks. So glad that you could join us and so glad that our guests could join us. Today we're talking to Lori Mazur. She is the editor of a book that is really, really cutting edge. It's called A Pivotal Moment, Population, Justice, and the Environmental Challenge. And we're talking about a subject that is pretty sensitive, and that is uh, what's going to happen with the relationship between human reproduction and the environment in the next few years. And Lori's book is a compilation of writings from a variety of different folks who have really um, put together some ideas that you may or may not agree with, but it's definitely worth reading um, to open up the discussion. This is an important topic and one that, as Lori mentioned, is going to be vital um, to these 3 billion members of the human race who are 25 and under and the choices they make um, regarding the, the number of children they bring into the world, and the natural resources that will be available to them. Lori, thank you again for being with us on Go Green Radio. Thank you, Jill. I'm happy to be here. Well, we were talking in the last segment about changes that have happened, uh, administration over administration, in the way that the U.S. has participated in a financial way in the U.N.'s programs for family planning. And, of course, we know that, you know, family planning programs, whether they're local or whether they're overseas, come at a price. Lori, what would it take, how much would it cost to make family planning and reproductive health care universal worldwide? Well, the the best current estimates put the figure at about $50 billion, uh, and that includes family planning and other reproductive health services, including maternal health. Uh, It also includes HIV, AIDS, prevention and treatment, and uh, prevention and treatment of other sexually transmitted diseases. Uh, And I I, I realize that 50 billion... Excuse me? 
does that include prenatal health, uh, I mean, and, and postnatal health, like for the child, or is that pretty much centered on the mother's health care? It is centered on the mother's health care, uh, and it, it, which is crucially important because uh, maternal pregnancy-related illness is, is a leading cause of, of, the, of maternal mortality around the world. Uh, a woman dies in pregnancy and childbirth about every minute of the day. Oh. About 550,000 wow. uh, women a year. That's so sad. Now, you were saying 50 billion. Big number. <laughs> that is a big number. <laughs> it, it is a big number, and I think it's, um, but it, it's important to put it in perspective. Um, the, the developed countries' share of that cost is somewhere around 16 billion. Uh, and to put that in perspective, let's remember that, you know, the bankers on Wall Street gave themselves $20 billion in bonuses last year. Uh, the, the U.S. share of the cost is about a billion, which, you know, I realize is, is real money in, in, at a time of war and, and recession. Um, but also let's remember that's, that's what we're spending on the war in Afghanistan every 13 hours. Wow. That is a, a very interesting way to line up the facts. Now, as we were talking about in the last segment, it's been a bit controversial, you know, for the U.S. to commit taxpayer dollars to family planning, regardless of the amount. And that's why that funding has changed from, you know, different presidential administrations throughout the last couple of decades. If we want to, you know, kind of relieve that instability of funding, how could we convince the taxpayers of the U.S. and other developed countries that the price of underwriting this cost whatever it is, as well as the cost of, you know, we're asking the, to be uh, funding clean tech solutions. I mean, that's been a big topic in Copenhagen. Um, how do we convince these taxpayers that there's a return on investment that's adequate? In other words, that the price of doing nothing is higher than the price of, of actually getting involved in investing in this. That's a very good question. Um, and I think that looking at the numbers, looking uh, – you know, looking at the costs of inaction, looking at, at the price we pay uh, in terms of both health care and in terms of human suffering in, in the lives of, of women and children, I think the, the costs of not coming up with the money are, are far greater than the costs we would incur. And I think women understand this. You know, I was reminded of this uh, during the health care debate here in the U.S. when... Uh, Representative John Kyle said, you know, I don't need maternity care. It's, it's just going to make my insurance more expensive. And uh, Debbie Stabenow came back at him and said, hey, you don't need it, but I think your mom probably did. Um, so <laughs> I, I think there's, <laughs> there are some men who need convincing <laughs> the importance of this. <laughs> well, I, I think that's true. And I, I think it would be great if at some point, if somebody hasn't already done this, I mean, if they have, I'd really like to get my hands on it and start, you know, pushing it out there. But, you know, in business, there's such a thing as a cost-benefit analysis. And it seems like with, with the statistics and the, you know, credible organizations that are developing real numbers around this, that we could present a cost-benefit analysis to taxpayers that would, you know, lay out the numbers. Here's the cost of investing, here's the cost of not investing, and make it really 
um, pragmatic. Do you know if something like that already exists? Yeah, there there are people who are working on this in the in the context of looking at population and climate change, for example. Uh, there's there's some really great research uh, that's in progress at the National Center on Atmospheric Research that looks at the relationship between population growth and climate change, um, and it shows that stabilizing world population uh, at 8 billion rather than 9 billion or more would avert about a billion tons of carbon a year uh, by 2050. Um, wow. Which is, you know, so it's a, it's a big piece of the pie. Uh, you know, it's not the only thing we need to do. We still need to figure out how to have a less, you know, an economy that's less dependent on fossil fuels, for example. That's a huge challenge. Um, but it's, this is a piece of what we need to do, and it's about the equivalent of completely eliminating deforestation. So it's significant. Uh, and there's some other well, new interesting work at the Center on Global Development uh, by David Wheeler that actually puts a price tag on, you know, thinking of slowing population growth as a, as a climate change strategy, as a way of, of reducing carbon dioxide emissions. And and figures out how much that would cost relative to other strategies. Uh, and David Wheeler shows that if you if you do just family planning and girls' education um, as ways of slowing population growth, it would be among the least expensive ways to avert that billion tons of carbon a year. Um, so there is some there's some good research on it. There's there's some hard numbers behind it. Well, and here's what I'd love to see, and, and this is just, I guess, the minivan mom in me coming out, but, you know, averting a billion tons of carbon dioxide really doesn't matter at all to people when they're sitting around the kitchen table, and we need to make these issues matter to people at a kitchen table level. In other words, if you invest 100 bucks of your tax dollars every year or however much it would be per person into international family planning, it's going to save you $5 on your, you know, bread bill or whatever it is. I mean, we need to make these numbers real to real people and not just preach to the choir in the environmental echo chamber. I mean, saying that investing in family planning is going to save a billion tons of carbon emissions to a bunch of folks in Copenhagen, they're going to get all excited. They're going to start glittering. They're going to start, you know, getting all happy. But say that to a soccer mom, say that to a truck driver, say that to a coal miner and his or her family, and it means nothing. I think that we could take those numbers to a new level of pragmatism that would really matter individually to the taxpayers in developed countries who are going to be putting the bill for this and make it so that they can ask the question very you know, rightfully, what's in it for me? <laughs> and we should be able to answer that question. And that's kind of hope. That's where I'm hoping that we'll get with these numbers. What do you think about that? Oh, I agree completely. Um, and I do think it's a challenge. Um, you know, I think for many of us, you know, people in our generation, we think of climate change as, you know, it's about saving the polar bears. But for my kids, you know, for 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 the mm-hmm. next generation, this is going to be about saving us. I mean, the stakes right. here are, are really high. Um, you know, I was on another show this morning, actually, uh, talking to some folks in uh, 
uh, Denver, Colorado, uh, and there was a man on the show who's been tracking uh, St. Mary's Glacier, and which is disappearing. Um, right. And, you know, it, people are academically interested in the disappearing glaciers, but I think what people don't realize is that, you know, one in six people on the planet get their drinking water from yeah. snowpack and glaciers and see, on the world's real. mountain that's ranges. That's making it real. That's what Go Green Radio is all about. In fact, we're going to be back, folks, after this commercial break with more Go Green Radio. We're going to be bringing up some more subjects that are real, that matter to you. So don't go away. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Hey, Dad. What? I can't get the ketchup bottle open. Here, let me try. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, folks. Today we are joined by Lori Mazur. She is the editor of a book that I think is really an important read for anyone who wants to understand what may be 
the greatest issue that we have to deal with in facing the environmental challenges before us, and that is human population. Her book is called A Pivotal Moment, Population, Justice, and the Environmental Challenge. I invite you to definitely take a look at it. You can find it out there if you Google it. It's from Island Press. They're the the publishers of A Pivotal Moment. Lori, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate having you here. Thanks, Jill. Well, we've been talking about some really sensitive stuff. I mean, when you're talking about human reproduction, it's a very personal, personal issue. And right now, you know, times are so tough uh, for people. We're in a global recession that's hurting a lot of us. And trying to make a concept like world population relevant to people is kind of tough. And so, um, you know, when we talk about human population, when we talk about the kinds of real issues people discuss over their kitchen table, um, sometimes it's not so easy to make issues like population and women's rights around the world um, relevant to, to everyday folks. I mean, right now, whenever you turn on the news, what you're going to see is talk about how we are engaged in a war against Islamic jihadists. Some critics of that war say that America should just simply pull out of Iraq and Afghanistan, um, even as American, you know, backbone of American uh, families are sending their sons and daughters there. But in fact, the factions that our sons and daughters are fighting against are the same ones who want to put women under burqas. They want to force them to start families when they are young teenagers. And it seems to me like if we actually defeat these extremists, then we actually win a big victory for women's reproductive rights in a huge part of the world's population and maybe advance the precepts in Lori's book. Um, Lori, what's your take on this? Is the population crisis worth fighting for? How far should we be willing to go to defeat those who would impose things like Sharia law on countries and set back efforts to intelligently manage population? Does this make our efforts in Iraq and Afghanistan just? What do you think? Well, it's, again, it's a very good question and very timely. Um, but I guess I would say that using military power is, is just one way to bring about change in the world. Uh, there's also soft power, you know, which is about winning hearts and minds, uh, often by providing services that people need and, and want. You know, so sometimes it's about having a better alternative. Uh, if the Taliban offers madrasas, you know, as a way to school the boys, you know, we can support universal education for all children. Um, and the, the programs we're talking about, empowering women to make their own choices about childbearing, educating girls, I, these are programs that can have very far-reaching social changes. Um, I mean, girls' education, for example, has been linked to, to better health for women and families, greater financial security, higher crop yields, you name it. I mean, just about every positive social indicator is, you know, is linked to girls' education. So these are positive social changes we can bring about by, by using our foreign aid strategically. And I think that if it's done right, it will make countries less hospitable uh, to the jihadists. That makes a great point. I mean, you know, that, that is uh, a great way of, of coupling the power that a country like the U.S. has. It's not just military. It's uh, the, the smart use and strategic use of foreign aid. That's a great point. You know, we're kind of touching on religious extremists, but in a more general sense, how big of a role do you think a person's religion plays in these population policy and 
human reproduction questions. I mean, when people are deciding how many children to have, do you think that their religious beliefs have more or less sway than their nation's policies on these types of things? Yeah, well, religion certainly plays a, a, a crucial role in shaping people's values around sexuality and reproduction. Um, but the interesting thing is that when it comes to behavior, the, the effect is less than you might think. Um, for example, really? although the Catholic Church prohibits the use of artificial birth control, um, American Catholics use birth control at exactly the same rates as the rest of the population. Um, and you mentioned government policies. They also have a somewhat limited effect. Uh, there's a new study out by the Guttmacher Institute uh, that found that abortion is just as prevalent in countries where it's illegal as where it's legal. I mean, you know, the difference really? being, of course, that it's much more dangerous for women where it's illegal. Um, right. But that's not to say that, you know, there aren't factors that have a huge impact on fertility. Um, the, the two main factors that have been shown over time to have the greatest impact on how many children uh, couples choose to have are the, the status of women and poverty. Uh, where the status of women is low, you know, where women are uh, off frequently, you know, married off uh, as teenagers or young girls, uh, where they have no alternatives to early marriage and childbearing and no other way of, of you know, getting status and security in life, um, they will have many children. Uh, and similarly, where, where poverty is very severe, where there's no social safety net, um, and especially in agricultural areas where, where people need a lot of kids to work on the farm, uh, and where infant and child mortality rates are high. Uh, poor couples right. will often have many children to ensure that some survive. Uh, so to the right. extent that governments can impact those two things, the status of women and poverty, they can have a, a significant impact on people's fertility mm -hmm. decisions. Well, and I think, you know, a lot of world religions talk about the status of women and poverty and these issues as well. And for people who, who would be inclined to make these decisions with their religious teachings as a backdrop, you know, it's helpful to remember that a majority of the world's religious people are either Christian or Muslim. And of the Christians, of course, Catholics are the largest denomination. In editing this book, did you consider including writings from, say, a Catholic cardinal or a Muslim imam? seems like if we could get Catholics and Muslims on board with, you know, what we're doing and building coalition, we could cover a lot of ground in terms of the world's population. Yeah, yeah, I, I certainly agree. Um, and, uh, you know, and also agree that religious leaders <clears throat> can be really powerful allies. Uh, in fact, there's a, there's a wonderful interview in the book uh, with a woman named Myro Bello who runs the uh, Adolescent Health Information Project in, in northern Nigeria, mm -hmm. uh, which is in a very conservative Muslim area. Um, and when she first uh, launched her program, which is you know, about providing information and, and reproductive health services for young people, you know, she was nearly run out of town. Uh, she received death threats. Uh, you know, some of her allies from out of the country thought about, you know, getting her out of the country because they were worried about her life. Um, but mm -hmm. what she did was she did she started a program where she was training the imams, the the uh, the Islamic 
male religious leaders and talked with them about the reproductive health challenges that women were facing, you know, about women dying in childbirth, about HIV AIDS. And she eventually won their support. Uh, and she tells the story about how at one point one of the wives of one of the imams called her and said, what was it you did to our husbands at that training? And uh, she was completely speechless uh, and a little nervous. Um, but the woman went on and said, whatever it is, keep doing it. <laughs> you, you made him start talking about women as human beings. Um, so I think there, there, you know, there are many opportunities to, to work with religious communities, even in, even in very conservative traditional situations, um, when people well, understand I think you're what right. the stakes are. Yeah. I think you're right. And every everybody has a mom, you know. And sometimes, yeah. you know, that that soft part, you know, part in your heart for your mom can can sway a lot of a lot of men who are in these positions, especially. It changes Absolutely. years for just a second. I I've done a lot of work in China and it, it, we always end up talking about population situations and I of course bring up their one child policy, which is starting to relax. And they, of course, bring up our welfare system, and they always kind of challenge me um, on our population policy with regard to our welfare system where um, families actually get more money with more children. Based on, you know, what your book is advocating, do you think that's good or bad population policy? Should we continue to do that in the U.S.? Well, I don't think we really are still doing that. Um, as, as I understand it, the... The, the welfare system as we knew it was was pretty much dismantled uh, by the Clinton administration in the 90s. And, you know, what replaced it, the temporary assistance for needy families, um, has pretty heavy emphasis on the temporary part. You know, it's a, it's a pretty threadbare safety net, as, you know, a lot of unemployed folks are discovering. So I, I really don't think that people in the U.S. today are, are having more children in order to get a, a bigger welfare check. Um, but, you know, that being said, I really, uh, I don't think it's the business of government uh, to either encourage or discourage people from having children. Uh, and, you know, policies that use coercion or rewards or punishment of any kind, um, I think that's just wrong. It's a violation of human rights. I think that the job of government is to is to help make sure that people can make their own decisions about whether to have a child. Well said. Amen. I think that you'd get very little resistance <laughs> with, that, <laughs> with that point of view. Um, and I think, you know, of course, there are um, sensitive ramifications to what you just said, but I think whether you, politically or religiously, if you are conservative or liberal, um, letting people make their own choices is a popular point of view and an appropriate role for government regardless of whether you're talking about you know a society that's free like the United States or where you have you know a different form of government in other countries that seems to be an appropriate role for government well folks we are going to take a short commercial break and we'll be back with more on the population and environmental connection with Lori Mazur and the author of A Pivotal Moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back with more Go Green Radio. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Hi, my name is Aaron, and I'm a survivor of mannequinism. Mannequinism is basically when you turn into a hard plastic shell. They say it's from not being politically active. For me, it started when I didn't register to vote, and then I stopped volunteering, and before I knew it, I wasn't doing anything. And that's when I found a small patch of plastic on my right shoulder. Protect yourself from mannequinism. Log on to fightmannequinism.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. The Interstate Sportsman Talk radio show brings two well-known outdoorsmen to the Voice America Network with hunting and fishing info news. Talking about everything from new sporting gear, places to hunt and fish, and getting more from your recreation time. Join hosts Brock Ray and Don Kirk Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 Eastern for the Interstate Sportsman on the Voice America channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, folks. We are dealing with a hot topic today, and that is the connection between human population growth and the environment and the natural resources that will be available to the population of the Earth. We're here with Lori Mazur. She is the editor of a book that really is quite, quite good. I mean, it really gives a candid look from many different perspectives about how we deal with this issue of the growing population on planet Earth. Her book is called A Pivotal Moment, Population, Justice, and the Environmental Challenge. It's published by Island Press, so check it out. It's really a good read. Lori, Chapter 21 of your book is called Rethinking U.S. Population Policy, and I found it very thought-provoking. It deals primarily with our international population policy rather than our own domestic policies, but um, the chapter begins by describing how America first got involved in international funding of American or of uh, family planning. And to be honest, I was a little surprised and maybe just a little uncomfortable, just to be perfectly honest with you. One of the first advocates for the U.S. getting involved with international funding of family planning was Margaret Sanger. She's the founder of Planned Parenthood. And your book notes that uh, some of her views were you know, a little controversial in today's you know, perspective. She had some race-based 
eugenics agendas that, that are noted. The chapter also notes that an early rationale for the U.S. getting involved with funding was national security, even to stop the spread of communism, basically eliminating the enemy before they're born. And that's not exactly an altruistic worldview. How do you think, Lori, that this history of our nation's um, interaction with international family planning funding, how does that affect our nation's enthusiasm now for programs um, that were initially embraced by people who wanted to kind of squelch the reproduction of those considered undesirable to American interests. It doesn't seem like a very 21st century American way of thinking. How do you think that's going to affect our involvement now? Um, another great question. Uh, and yes, there, there have been some very ugly chapters in the history of the, of the family planning movement. Um, where the goal was to reduce human numbers, as, as you mentioned, uh, horrible abuses were common, uh, you know, notably in India and, and China, which you also mentioned. Um, but I think it is also important to note that even in the sort of bad old days of population control, uh, it wasn't all self-interested real politics uh, that made people care about these issues. Um, there was another parent of the family planning movement, which was, um, the movement for, for women's health and rights. Um, and, you know, many people went into this movement out of a real concern for human well-being. Uh, you mentioned Margaret Sanger, uh, who was a pioneer in this movement, uh, and she definitely had some warts. Uh, she uh, engaged in uh, eugenics thinking, um, which, you know, a number of intellectuals at the time did. Remember, this was, you know, before the... Before the Nazis, it was before people understood where this would take us. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, not to excuse that, but the reason that Man Margaret Sanger went into this issue was um, because she watched her mother, who had tuberculosis, um, suffer through 18 pregnancies, uh, seven of which ended in miscarriage. Um, so she had a passionate desire to improve the lives of women. And I think that the, the international family planning movement also, you know, for all of its warts, has, has had the effect of, of improving the lives of women around the world. Um, since it was launched in the 60s, uh, you know, when it was launched in the 60s, less than 10% of women in the developing countries had access to family planning. Today it's 60%. Um, and wow. fertility rates have fallen from an average of six children per woman to, to three. Um, so that's a, a, that's a huge change, and it's a huge change for the better in, in women's lives. Uh, but also, well, I, I have to... That, that can't sorry. be denied, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and the population policy has also evolved in that time. Um, Fifteen years ago, the world's uh, nations met in Cairo uh, and hammered out an agreement on population issues. And at that meeting, they decided that it, it's not about population control. It's not about top-down telling people how many kids to have. Um, that it really is about meeting individuals' needs for, for family planning and reproductive health. And that's, you know, that's, that's the basis of U.S. population policy today. Right. Well, there's another part of the book in Chapter 15 called, the, that chapter is called The Biggest Footprint. And as we're here in the holiday season and folks are out shopping and doing their thing, I, I want to touch on this. 
because I think this may, again, bring it back to the kitchen table. Here's the quote. It says, the United States leads the world in per capita resource consumption and associated pollution and waste. Resource consumption is often associated with a population's level of income or affluence. Evidence shows that as a whole, more affluent people consume more resources and generate more waste and pollution than their lower income counterparts. The United States is among the world's wealthiest nations. Our environmental impact is commensurate with our relative influence. So here's my question, Lori. Do you think that if the U.S. became less affluent, the world would be better off? Uh, I think the world would be better off if we came up with a new definition of affluence and and a new way of achieving it. Uh, We need to figure out how to achieve a high standard of living, how to meet human needs without bringing about disastrous climate change, without destroying the natural systems that, that make life possible. Um, and some countries have actually made more progress on this front than we have. You know, the, the Europeans use about half as much energy per person as we do. Um, they emit about half as much carbon dioxide. And they have a standard of living that is certainly comparable to ours. Um, so mm-hmm. historically, there's been a strong link between affluence and environmental impact. But I, I think the challenge in the next century is to break that link. Well, and I would agree, and I think a lot of Americans out there would would like to feel like our affluence is a world asset. I mean, the funding for a lot of UN programs that help the rest of the world certainly are a byproduct of our affluence. And if we're able to take that affluence and, and put it to good use, then the world can actually be better off and we can live good lives and, and also contribute to the the betterment of humankind. So I think that's a comforting message to put out to folks. Um, Of course, our economy is a production and consumption-based economy, but there are ways to tread more lightly, even as we produce and and buy and sell uh, goods that, that fuels our economy and puts Americans to work. We can, we can produce and we can consume, uh, less environmentally uh, harmful goods. And I think a lot of companies out there are, are really taking that onus on themselves to to find resources and to create products that, that are much more environmentally friendly. I think we have good things to look forward to in the future. Well, Lori, thank you so much for joining us on Go Green Radio. There's about a million more questions I'd love to ask you, and we're running out of time, but I hope that you'll join us again because uh, this is a fascinating topic. And, folks, do get out there, check out Lori's book, A Pivotal Moment, uh, Population, Justice, and the Environmental Challenge. It's a great read, and I think that you'll find it very stimulating. Now, we're going to be taking uh, a holiday break from Go Green Radio, so you're going to hear some replays the next couple of weeks. But if you'd like to communicate with us and give us some topics that you'd like to hear from us in the new year, go ahead and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com, and we'll take a look at things that you'd like for us to cover in 2010. Until then, have a safe and wonderful holiday season. We'll be back in 2010 with more Go Green Radio.
Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.